0: I voted in the Nevada primary, but I only get to vote for the candidates of my own party. Still, I I watched all the results. Now, some moderates won, some extremists, some unexpected landslides. Lots of intrigue, though. So is the wild 2022 election cycle the new normal in Nevada? We talk with political editor and reporter Michelle Rindells of the Nevada Independent to figure out what it all means as we steamroll to the November General. It's Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Michelle, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas.
1: Thanks for having me, David.
0: Uh, it's it's my pleasure to have you because I know you're so thoughtful and and you you watch these things so carefully uh, that your insights are going to be really really valuable. So. I think anyone who's listening in is going to wonder how this whole primary system shook down, especially as this might be one of the last closed primaries that we have, if those voters who want an open ballot have their way or you know those individuals who are pushing for that. So let's just jump into the the hot, hot races of the primaries. What primary races were the most hotly contested and which ones were you watching closely?
1: Yeah, I mean... That's a little bit of a, a different question because there were some landslides in those major, <laughs> major races. You know, I was pretty clear that Lombardo was going to run away with it. And that's what happened. Um, we also suspected Adam Laxalt was going to win in that Republican Senate primary. And that's what happened. You know, some of the other ones down the ballot were definitely more of a question mark, uh, even in the final days, literally, you know, one week before voters were casting ballots, we took this poll and so many people were undecided in things like the AG's race and the, the Secretary of State's race, um, didn't know who they liked, were not very familiar with the candidates. So those were actually some of the ones that had the more interesting results in them. Um, we saw, for example, Sigal Chada defeat Tisha Black in the attorney general primary for the Republican side, um, which we really didn't know how that was going to turn out. Our polling showed it was closer than it actually was.
0: And I want to talk about that one. But when we talk about a closed primary, um, for those who don't know, it it means that you have to be registered in that uh, and affiliated with that party to be able to cast a ballot for the eventual uh, candidate who's going to go into the general election in November. What What is it about our closed primary system and that that 18% number of people who actually turn out that shapes who the victor ultimately becomes?
1: Yeah, well, we're seeing Nevada-wide more people registered nonpartisan. I mean, I think we have, you know, 35% or something like that of Nevadans are registered nonpartisans these days. So, you know, unless someone took the time to switch and register with a major party to participate in the primary, you are getting a smaller um, pool of folks weighing in on these races. And so you probably are seeing a little bit more um, concentration at the edges of the political spectrum in these primaries. And I think um, that's probably why you're seeing some of the, the folks down ballot that won uh, that we got to see, you know, Jim Marchant and and Seagal Chada. You know, what does that mean when we move into November and we bring in all these nonpartisans and and the Democrats into the mix? Who knows? (laughs) We'll have to see. And and we'll have to, of course, see if uh, there are these dramatic changes to how we do these primaries. And if we um, invite those nonpartisans in and and making it a lot more easy for for this wide swath of voters uh, who are wildcards to weigh in at this primary level.
0: Right. And then you have the AG race. Segal Chada came out very early in her Republican primary for attorney general and, and really started shaping that race in a very, to me, peculiar way. Um, you know, I know what the attorney general does, uh, you know, they do focus mostly on things that happen within the state, uh, consumer protection stuff, but then there's also this trend uh, over the last decade or so where a lot of state attorney generals are either jumping on or opposing these sort of national lawsuits, uh, to either stop or, uh, assist things from happening on a federal level. And, and Seagal really took that tack, right? Um, she had very incendiary uh ads early on she was attacking members of the congressional squad she said she's going to go after them uh and somehow that resonated uh or was that just a distraction something else was happening in that race because when tisha black a fairly moderate individual though again you know no one no one's liberal on, on on many of these ticket races uh came in she just got trounced. I mean, 11% seems pretty significant.
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, like you say, you you know what the attorney general does, you know, you know what the treasurer does, but how many people really know what that office does? I mean, so much of it is like, yeah, you're defending a state agency and in court, you know, you have your deputy attorney general working on a case. Um, it's not, you know, as exciting as maybe people that are seeking that office would hope it would be. Um, obviously, it's just going to resonate more with the average voter, or maybe that doesn't have a very good understanding of, of the job, you know, I'm going to go take on the Biden administration or um, go after COVID mandates, uh, you know, which there is some of that going on, like, you can file your amicus briefs and make your public statements um, on these larger national policy issues. But, um, you know, the role that you take in that is considerably... Uh, lower than, than what you're doing most of the time day to day. Um, you know, I, I think for Seagal, she definitely established herself as a Republican of a certain stripe.
0: The the fiery stripe. yes, <laughs> the, the, the flaming red fire stripe, right?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, Seagal was, was doing all sorts of lawsuits against um, closures of churches and and mandates and COVID of all all types. Um, So she really had been active in the past two years on that issue and getting her name out there and um, establishing herself on that issue. Uh, You know, Tisha filed, uh, got into the race really quite late. And I think, you know, struggled to create a brand that was going to really appeal to a lot of these Republican primary voters. Um, I think it was a little bit hard to even pin her down on certain issues. And, you know, she's coming from Clark County and she's um, run for county commission. She had some donations to Democrats. I think folks um, weren't quite sure they could trust her, in addition to not maybe knowing much about her just because she got into the race so late.
0: Right. So now you have people like, you mentioned Jim Marchant, who won the. Republican primary fairly handily uh, for secretary of state. He's an election denier. I think it's fair to call him that. I mean, he is on the record uh, suggesting that Biden did not win Nevada and that there were anomalies that uh, were overwhelming and that you know he campaigned to correct that, uh, which sort of begs the question to me is like, will he decertify his own election if he wins? But that's just my little uh, tempted humor, which we can move right past Michelle, um, but, but, you know, you've got someone like him coming through, uh, are, are candidates like Jim Rashan, like Segal Chata, uh, who have these very harsh and in, in many ways, extreme positions, uh, would they have been elected in prior cycles? Or is there something about this cycle that allows them to come through?
1: I think, you know, as you're seeing the rise of social media, forgetting news and, spreading a message, um, you know, over the years, 10 years or, or more, um, you are getting people like Jim Marchant that can get a lot more traction than maybe they did in the past. You know, I think the, the Trump movement has kind of, you know, just thrown all conventional wisdom out, out the door and, and you've got people that can, you know, take these more extreme positions and people are are resonating, with their message so yeah i think um and jim marchant's you know uh ties to trump adherence to trump really really resonates with the folks that say i am more trump than i am republican
0: <laughs> you know, right. th- i mean
1: that's even a new group that's
0: and 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 that's really a nice transition to what these endorsements all mean i mean a direct endorsement for someone like trump to the base of people who find you know identify as trumpists um, that's obviously going to have some kind of difference, but let's look at a, a, a way down ballot, a, a local race in, 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 the County, uh, for Las Vegas, we, we had a incumbent district attorney who is a registered Democrat running against a former assemblyman who is also a Democrat going through that primary process. Um, one had all the money, uh, and the name recognition as the incumbent, but the other led it, uh, led a very spirited, uh, campaign, uh, tilting his hat a little bit towards the progressives and in the, in the, in the process picking up virtually every endorsement that you would think a Democrat would want and would need to prevail. So, you know, you had all the major unions, including culinary, which is, you know, the, the heavy hitter in, uh, s- certainly in Clark County, uh, you, you had all the progressive organizations, uh, you had, uh, all the, um, race identity groups, while the ACLU didn't endorse, they they certainly had a website that distinguished the candidates in ways that had Ozzy Fumo align much more with the, the the mission statement of the ACLU. And so here's the thing: he gets all those endorsements. And yet he fared worse than a candidate with less name recognition uh, who got into the race much later uh, in the last election cycle. So Where where do endorsements fall into these primaries if a Democrat candidate who gets all the plum endorsements really uh, still gets trounced in a primary?
1: Yeah. And I think uh, over the years, I think we've learned that it's not just about them putting out a single press release, you know, with Aussie Fumos our endorsement. You know, it it has to be backed by real endorsements. investment real get out the vote efforts i mean when the culinary endorses stephen Horsford and goes and sends out hundreds of people into district four for weeks on end i mean that means something um mm-hmm. but w- were all these groups putting in you know 100 effort and truly felt so fed up that they they put you know everything they had into the district attorney's race or were, was it a bit of a you know we want Aussie to win, but he's up against a tough road. And, you know, if this is Aussie's first time in this DA race, I mean, he ran for a Supreme Court last time, and then he was running for assembly um, prior to that. Um, You know, oftentimes your first time is not going to have, you're not going to be cemented in folks's mind as much as um, in subsequent runs. I mean, look at like, you know, in, in CD4, Sam Peters had to, to run his whole <laughs> campaign um, in 2020 and lose and get second place to Jim Marchand. He, he tries again. And, and he's had, you know, two years really of of people seeing mailers and, and things like that. So I think part of it can be just the repetition of of hearing that name.
0: Sure. Let me ask you this. Le- Lisa Cano-Burkhead, um, destroyed her closest rival, Deborah March, who is well-known in politics, at least in Southern Nevada, and is the outgoing mayor of of Henderson, uh, which is one of our bigger cities in the state. Does that bode as a good sign for Sisolak and his strength uh, among voters as he goes into the general against Lombardo? Because I think, apart from some of the the key races that are being looked at nationally, uh, from a Nevada perspective, I I mean, all eyes are going to be on the gubernatorial race. Um, what lessons from the primary and specifically that lieutenant governor race bode well for, for Sisolak? And how do you think that Sisolak-Lombardo race is going to shape up?
1: You know, I think with the Lisa Keno-Burkhead situation where Governor Sisolak really took an active role in the final weeks to boost his candidate introduce his candidate, um, appear with her, say she's my chosen, uh, you know, selection for, for Lieutenant governor. You know, I, I think you saw Democrats really fall in line with that and, um, uh, listen to him as sort of the, the head of the party on that. Um, how does that translate into, um, a general election. I mean, I think I mean I think he's doing a good job in that sense that that tells me he's he's doing a good job consolidating that democratic vote. but uh, you know, as this group of nonpartisans gets bigger, um, as we see different parties at different levels of. <laughs> energy over the the 2022 general election
0: right, right um
1: you know i don't i don't know if that's going to directly translate into people are very excited about steve sisolak um, and really want to turn out i mean i think that's just a subset is but but what does that say anything about the middle that that they're really going to have to to win over at a time when there's a lot of external headwinds going on with the economy at large and and biden's unpopularity so yeah i'm not sure we that- can read much
0: Right, and how that impacts our state to be to be seen. Uh, are you looking forward to this political cycle? I mean, you're a political reporter and editor, of course, uh, it's your bread and butter. But are you looking for any moments of fun? What would be fun, Michelle, for you as as this uh, race comes to its logical end in November?
1: Well, as a a state government reporter who kind of lives and breathes the legislature when it comes, uh, when the session comes around every two years, you know, I really love the governor's races and find those fascinating. And how do they propose dealing with taxes and how do they um, propose resolving the education issues? Because we see that play out um, in the legislature, we get to see if these campaign promises translate into anything real on the ground when it comes to legislative sessions. I love to hear what they have to say right. um, about these policies. And this is going to be a very interesting governor's race. So that's the number one for me.
0: Got it. Michelle Rindell is assistant editor and reporter at the Nevada Independent. Uh, It's so great to see you. Congratulations on all the things happening uh, over at the Nevada Independent and in your personal life too. I'm gonna just say, I'm just pleased as punch to see that uh, uh, recently married, you're having a baby on the way, everything's really good. But uh, you know that election is gonna probably distract you a little bit from some of the joy there, but hopefully you'll find joy in it as well. Thank you so much for joining us today on CityCast Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, David.
0: Our friends over at the Indie Matters podcast have an episode out today with some more Nevada primary takeaways to get you prepared for November's general election. So make sure to show them some love at thenevadaindependent.com. The polls are closed for today here on CityCast Las Vegas If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review like this one from Old Shatterhands, who says, finally, I'm so glad Vegas has something like this. Thank you, Old Shatterhands. Don't forget to subscribe to our morning newsletter, too. We'll be back Thursday morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. I was... Such a weird mind space this morning, I'm going to tell you, Sonia, but I think we're getting through it.